I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast for myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor, Dane Baptiste, my producer friend, Howard Cohen, a.k.a. The Hizzer. Hello. Ask all the questions that need to be asked. And we are talking everything from... We are talking everything from uh, Howard, uh, from London's question. Uh, Will the listeners enjoy an episode of just Dane and Howard wrapping up the year? Uh, Dane, we haven't got an answer to this, obviously. I mean, the the proof is literally going to be in this episode. Uh, It should be demonstrative, yeah. Although... uh... Howard isn't from, doesn't live in London. So. Oh no, I'm a, I'm a Hertfordshire person now. Shit, I forgot about that. Well, all over the place. I'm, I'm from London. I'm from, I mean, I'm from London. So, from but, London. But, but, but you know, home is where the heart is, Howard. It's all yeah, good. Home yeah. Is yeah. So, so listeners, this is our, our end of the year uh, show. Uh, it's been an eventful 2020, hasn't it, Dane? How have you, fa- how have you found it? Um, I have found it to be. Uh, yeah, definitely eventful to give an ambivalent response. But I feel like a friend of mine said that 2020 was going to be about having clarity of vision, hence the turn to 20. So he said there'll be some poetic significance of that, having 2020 vision. And mm. uh, I completely agree. Um, I mean, this has been much more of an eventful year than a Justin Timberlake album, that's for sure. But <laughs> uh, no, it's, in many, way, many ways, it's been a very tragic and very uh, horrible year, aesthetically, but in many ways, there's been slithers of hope and uh, silver lining that have played over uh, the clouds of famine and pestilence and war and death. So um, I basically, as someone who uh, realizes their career and their uh, finances from observation, like my cup runneth over for 2020, boy. <laughs> like, yeah, you'd, you'd, for someone to be a comedian and be short of material in this year of all years is insanity. Yeah, that's. I mean, has it has it led to you writing lots of new stuff, Dana? Or uh... um, I mean, I've been writing lots anyway. I try to write a lot of stuff. It's, I mean, the difficulty has been having the venues and the space and breadth to actually apply that new material. But for me, it's it's. Uh, I've been writing a lot of stuff, but it's more been about re- maybe reassessing my approach to the art form anyway, and just my approach to society and how that permeates into my work anyway. So yeah, I've, I've been writing, but mainly, like I said, I've been observing in the same way that like obviously i try to do as many gigs as possible but i think this year has largely been about listening as opposed to just talking mm. and i mean it's an interesting element of, of of comedy that i don't know if i don't know if every uh every every member of the public really understands really which is that you know when they watch you uh you know on on tour smashing your hour or on a tv show doing stand-up that it's there's a real process that goes on in terms of honing uh, the material, right? I mean, sometimes you'll get up and do a bit of material that just isn't working and then it dies, right? And then or sometimes they're born again. It's like a, it's a real, real process, right? 
I mean, definitely. And I think it's, it's probably been one of the more difficult parts of 2020 is that that's been a part of the uh, creative logistic chain that we've been kind of missing as artists because you haven't had as many venues and opportunities to go and perform new material and to go through that normal process of honing material, refining it just so that it kind of works a lot better because we haven't had the uh, opportunities via the way of going to gigs. Also haven't had the um, opportunity to hear feedback from audience members uh, that often as well. So it's been um, quite difficult in that respect to kind of work out the uh, creative process of making new material. But then at the same time, I guess the dynamic has changed where you have to find new ways to kind of realize that, whether that's through uh, social media or through Zoom. So that's always been a tough one, I think. But I just think in general, I think it's just, um, yeah, it's just, it's just been a weird one where it's, it's normally quite hard. I mean, myself, what I noticed the most was uh, the critique of my material has changed dynamically because before all the material that I may have been speaking about, which people were somewhat unaware of, uh, they are now very, very astutely aware of the stuff that I cover. So in, in, been, what, in what respects, how has that, how has that changed? Well, I said editorially, it's been like uh, a real uh, exercise and validation for me in comedy because uh, a lot of the material I discussed. So the show I did, so the show I was doing, I had begun my tour during 2020 for listeners that may not know. <laughs> I was touring a show called uh, The Chocolate Chip and the show was, I wanted it to be my most unapologetic and uncensored and unfiltered show where I wasn't trying to write a show which was taking into account the nuance of uh, Edinburgh and festival critique versus uh, the critique of your uh, average punter when I was touring. Mm. This is a show that this is who I am, this is how I perform, this is how I feel. If you don't like it, I do not care. This is my position in this industry and in this game and so this is how I feel. And so the show essentially was called The Chocolate Chip and was about just the complex of black anger. And I felt like uh, it's something that we were continuing to reluctantly to discuss in the UK, um, even though, you know, some people would argue that opportunities uh, for inclusion and diversity were increasing. I would say that there was a uh, real issue of ageism um, that was coming along with that. And so, yeah, the show was just about, like, you know, that I'm an adult, I'm a grown man, and I have a complex range of emotions and for some reason we have a society which only is able to perceive very few of those and now i was just trying to warn people that if we don't begin to address these issues in a time where we are having the most overt conversations about body dysmorphia and mental health if we are not including uh racism structural racism into that narrative then it's not really a discussion and i think a lot of people failed to heal that heed that warning and then we saw you know the world become the way it is now yeah. So far as uh, social upheaval, um, in the same way that the show I did prior to that was the, a show called Gold, Oil and Drugs. And mm. the idea was about, you know, human beings and the problems of us worshipping at the altar of capitalism a bit too much. And the fact that it is by all uh, definition a faith-based system. Um, you know, I was basically talking about some of the more archaic systems of governance and uh, social, I suppose, mobility that we observe. And I was yeah. kind of being like, it's only going to go so far. And again, I was just like, I remember being ridiculed by, uh, you know, Chortle and other critics who were like, oh, Dane's just, Kay's come here thinking that this show is just opus and I'm here to tell him that he's mistaken. Never referred to it as my opus. And then he just goes on about how money is bad and monarchy is bad and blah, blah, blah. And I remember having a part about the Queen and being like, you know, I was talking about the Queen sucking the dick, Howard. I'm going to say it now. And basically... <laughs> But for me, I, I, I performed a joke about the Queen sucking a dick in front of a room full of middle-class white people because I wanted to check 
you know, I was a real test of people because I could have open discussions about gender equality and the way I saw it is that, and also about, you know, uh, sec- about um, secularism as well as like agnosticism and atheism. All of that is covered in that joke in that, you know, if you are someone who doesn't believe in a God or a higher power, then you don't believe in the divine lineage in which the queen is able to realize her monarchy. Number mm. two, if you are a feminist by any stretch of the imagination, the idea of a woman performing a sex act does not make her any lesser than unless you're a misogynist. Mm. And finally, it was the idea about if you're secular and you believe in equality, then you thinking the queen is going to perform a sex act any more than your own partner says a lot more about your understanding of both women and understanding of equality. Well, exactly. So, yeah, so so that's so that's the level the kind of joke worked on and, you know, a lot of critics were kind of being like, ah, oh, he's full of shit. And, you know, when, I, when we fast forward to now and we see, like, you know, Prince Andrew claiming that he can't sweat and the Queen having to evacuate Windsor Castle because people have realised that these people are no better than us and they're not above the law. Mm. I feel very validated by that fact. Because, well, yeah. and, you know, also I think, you know, you can, you can, you know, we, we've talked on this podcast about politics and society. We've also talked about loads of other things, uh, yeah. but we talk about politics and, and society uh, very consistently. And, and, and I'm sure our listeners will agree that over the kind of two years that we've been doing this show, um, the world is really evolving in how it views these subjects. And so the perspective that you were taking uh, a couple of years ago in your stand-up has a wider net of people who are more willing to listen now, I think. Uh, Absolutely. Obviously, there's loads of people who really don't like you. <laughs> On the other side, they're probably more vocal than they were how many years ago. Um, yeah, that's fine. I mean, but they, they, they're not, though, because if you were someone that was aware of it, you'd understand that this has already this has always existed. So mm. I don't know, in the same way, that I suppose it's like, you know, we all realised how damaging secondhand smoking was. It didn't mean result in an overall ban on cigarettes. It just meant that they had to move outside. And yeah. that's the only thing that happened with like white supremacists and racists is that they just weren't allowed to do it indoors. So they took it to just designated areas like smokers and, you know, have been spit there by amongst people that are fine ingesting that kind of thing, just like with racism. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, as, as, as uh, laws become a lot more relaxed and they were allowed, eventually, whether or not you're outside, because of the nature of smoke, that smoke, proverbial smoke, will still find its way into buildings and into public places. And it's yeah. like we're smoking, and that's kind of what happened. And uh, you know, it's um, yeah, it's it's, just, it's just very interesting. And the thing is, that was the whole idea of the podcast, anyway. So it's so mm. cool to be in the position we're in now, and having such a you know, we had quite a significant increase in listenership over this year. Oh, it's um, been amazing, listeners! Amazing. Thank you for so, thank you for tuning in. We thank you know you we so much, and I hope you enjoy it, guys. We love yeah, it. we enjoy. It. Obviously, we enjoy uh, uh, the the guests. You know, it, it, we we like to think that we have the most diverse, eclectic mix of guests on any podcast. But obviously, you also tune in to listen I don't think to Howard. We know. Let's just assert yeah, ourselves. Yeah. We know, and we, well, and we know. And we don't, <laughs> that's a, that was the whole. That's the whole ethos of the podcast is that we want to question everything, and you can't question everything unless you are indulging everything. And allowing for um, narratives from all sides, and uh, mm. yeah, I mean that's the thing that oh, we could have very easily done like a comedy podcast and talking about the banal minutiae mm. of life with this podcast. But the reason why the podcast was called Question Everything was because you know that's for me it's a large part of my complex as a aspiring artist is that you know I want to have my imprint on my culture and uh, society by the work I do. But that begins with questioning your reality in the first place, and I feel like you know. I think we've seen such a state of social flux globally because people are questioning their reality. 
Yeah. What we always wanted to encourage and question everything is that, you know, what? normally this revolution is prefaced by someone saying, why is it this way? Why does it have to be this way? Is there nothing we can do to change it? Why must I live this way? How can I continue to live this way? These are the existential questions that people ask themselves before social upheaval or revolution begins. And so, in a way, it's something we want to encourage on a very small scale on this podcast. Well, and I think we, I think we do encourage it. And I think hopefully that the listeners feel that by tuning in every week, you, you, you get a, a bit of your brain that maybe you, you, you're not encouraged to embrace as much, which is, you know, a kind of uh, a, a desire to query the status quo of Absolutely. our of our world which let's be honest the status quo of our world is definitely not working very well uh anymore i mean i, mean, I don't know if it's ever worked very well if it, it, yeah exactly it, it's it never did it was it was a uh like most uh creations of capitalism they were manufactured to eventually become obsolete mm. so you know because nothing was ever because you know within con- con- capitalism or consumption in general we have terms like new and improved, which in itself is a paradoxical state because if something is new, what had pre-existed to improve upon? So it can't be both. Mm. And, you know, it, that's kind of how society works is that, you know, you had people saying they want to make their country great again. And, uh, you know, at what point was it great and who was it great for? Was it great for the members of your community who are allowed most basic civil rights, like being able to have law of assembly or to marry? Or was it great for people that have experienced abject poverty as a result for going to other countries and defending their country sometimes with their lives. So like I mm. said, did it ever work is the question. And I think that's the large, that's the biggest question of 2020, in my opinion. Mm. Like, and like I said, using the analogy of 2020 vision, it's like people have kind of been like, I've been looking, I, don't, I mean, we've been looking, I've been looking for a while and it's never, I don't like what I see anymore. And it never looked like this. And I think that, yeah, I guess we're at a stage now where we need, even a drastically improved society, but I reckon that's probably going to come about with a whole new one. Well, and it's and it's it's interesting, isn't it, to kind of think where we were this time last year. You know, the, the, the kind of there was a kind of you know a, a sense that you know obviously Britain was uh, was still in Brexit negotiations, which uh, not a lot has changed uh, there. Um, <laughs> you know, Donald Trump was was very much in power with a view to second term, uh, which isn't going to happen now. And you know, the kind of the idea of the pandemic was 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 a million miles away, but equally, um, you know, th- as much as there had been a, a surge of demonstrations, no one could have predicted what what well you could have predicted BLM, but I don't know if you could have predicted the the, the absolute ferocity uh, of the, uh, the you know the the movement that's been. I mean, it, you but know, that's the it, question is that how could we not? I personally mm. feel like how could like I said with the work I was doing, how the last show I did was like. How can you not expect people to be angry at this particular point in time? So even though we say we don't expect it, I think those who were not paying attention and weren't looking didn't see it coming. Mm. But now that it's at their window, they have no choice but to look. So even though you say you, you can't imagine the ferocity, I think like if you look at a, a unique example of BLM, mm. if you watch a man being murdered for eight minutes and 43 seconds, the, the, ferocity, the ferocity is the least of Like that would be, you know... The reason why the Arab Spring started was because, not because of any political intrigue, a man literally could not afford the inflated prices for his fuel cart, to fuel his fuel, uh, food cart, and so he set himself on fire mm. in protest. And that is how the Arab Spring began. In the same way that, you know, I mean, BLM, we talk about BLM this year, but BLM as a, as a, as a term began really, you know, 
five, six prior when uh, Sean Bell was killed in yeah. his car. Yeah. His car. So, I suppose the yeah. thing, the thing that makes me kind of, kind of bring, bring it up in that kind of way is saying kind of, uh, you know, I'm sure you'd agree it's kind of been an explosion this year with, with, with BLM in terms of its, it's, it's, it's kind of pertinence and the way it's spread. Uh, it's definitely had a, a kind of, you know, a real, a real, a real growth uh, this year. I wonder, I wonder, do you think that it's a coincidence that it's happened at the same time as the p- pandemic or has it been linked? Because it, some people have mentioned that, right. That the kind of the, you know, would, would people who live their normal lives have watched the video? Uh, oh no, so it's it's, com- it's directly linked. It's directly linked. Uh, I personally believe uh, that the biggest uh, phenomenon about the pandemic is the fact that for a very long time capitalism has not come face to face with a natural uh, hurdle that it can't get over, and that is how COVID has appeared because COVID is shown to a particular contingent of our society globally. There's some things you can't buy a way out of. Mm. And it, I don't think it's a coincidence that the most capital-intense countries in the world, such as the United Kingdom and the United States and Brazil, have suffered some of the worst cases of COVID in the world. Mm. Because essentially, these are countries who realise their uh, wealth by exploiting people. But it's very hard to exploit people if they're not able to as- assemble or go to work on your behalf. In the same way that there's a lot of people who are used to their money and power and and the power being a byproduct of that money, getting them out of situations that they would normally have to deal with. But, you know, you can't buy your way out of COVID. You mm-hmm. can't buy your way out of preferential treatment because there's no vaccine that exists. You can't make money by hoarding this uh, treatment from people because if you hoard it from a particular contingent of society and they don't mm-hmm. have a vaccine, then they continue to get sick. And you're again losing your workforce and then that in turn cripples all of the other orbital economies that surround the same people that may be, be infected. And so, yeah, by that same token, it meant people couldn't go to work and they had to sit down and pay attention. And getting someone to pay attention for eight minutes on any normal social media clip is hard enough. But oh, forget that, it. No chance, right? Yeah, no, no chance. chance. watching a black person die, a black man, an innocent black man die, not to, I mean, they wouldn't have seen that normally. Even the conversations that we're having, even where we've had the conversations about exchanges of literature, when people have said it's not enough to be Anti, like the idea now, people say it's not enough to be say you're not racist, but you have to be proactively anti-racist, is an exponential leap mm-hmm. in the discussion about racial prejudice, racial rhetoric, and institutional racism. Like the the fact that now those who enjoy privilege of institutional racism are being held to account for me is unheard of. Yeah, and again, that wouldn't have happened if. We, people were able to use the excuse of having to go to work or having to get back for lunch or having to get home from work or having to send their kids to school. There's been no excuse for you to ignore your humanity. And I think that's just been such an important part of... Uh, it's a transition, right? It's, yeah, a, it's a real of, transition. Of, of, of social consciousness. And it's happened whether people wanted it to happen or not. They didn't have a choice. And, you know, again, for people that enjoy the privilege of the benefits of capitalism, those being choice... Again, that's not something they've experienced before. And so, you know, a lot of people are very much losing it. But, yeah, it was always going to happen. In the same way that if you live in a world whereby you have massive population and you have scientific theory like evolution, the idea about evolution is that we experience a stimulus which may threaten our lives and we fight or flight. And that's um, how you're able to develop your immunity and evolve as a species. Mm. So if not COVID, something was supposed to go on because that's how human beings evolve. We The reason why we have... You know, our vaccination programs as they exist already is because we have to find a way to overcome smallpox and measles and rubella mm. and mumps and 
these are, were equally virulent diseases that used to, like rabies is 99% fatal. And so we've had to work out a way to deal with that. And so COVID again, mate, it's come along to remind us that we are not invincible. We are not distinct from nature. We have an interdependent relationship with nature. And, you know, if we choose to ignore that, then we put our lives at risk. Yeah. The thing that the thing that comes to my mind a lot, and, and, and you know, we, we cover this on this podcast, is 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 that the identity so like 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 we've said, that there there's been a transition this year in thought about what being anti racist means, what racism means. And I think there are some very clear dividing lines between people. Um, as in kind of if you are against this thing, as in you decided to fucking boo people taking a knee or, you know, you, you put hashtag all lives matter on your, uh, on your, uh, on your profile, then, then we clearly have, you know, a real separation in our, in our viewpoints. But the, the, the bit that I kind of struggle with and, and be interested to hear what you think is, is what does the left stand for? What does the kind of liberal side stand for? Because it does feel at times, and this is my own personal experience, you know, across 2020, that, 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 that we're not really sure what we're, uh, what we're targeting. And, and, and I, I just know, I just noticed as someone who works in the creative industry, much like yourself, Dane, you know, you'll sit in these meetings where I'm just aware that everyone's so worried about causing offence. Um, and don't get me wrong, there's plenty of people who are causing offence and should be brought up on it and reprimanded and all of that. But the, do you know what I mean about this? There's, there's an anxiety on the left, uh, a fear that I, I'm not quite sure how we're going to balance that. It feels like an interesting time for that stuff, particularly with a change of um, government in America, right? Absolutely. I mean, again, if I'm honest, I personally think that the left uh, ideologically no longer exists hmm. and that uh, by the bipartisan political structure has been destroyed and it's basically become this weird amalgam of centrist crypto-fascism with uh, consumer, consumerist leanings that are disguised as neoliberalism. But, um, yeah, I just said the left no longer exists, I think. Mm. So this is the thing about the left, is that myself personally, and I feel like a lot of people share this sentiment, those who we regard as the left cannot be so vehemently opposed to the right wing if they are happy and comfortable sharing premises and classrooms with these people. Mm. And this is how I kind of feel a lot of the left, and even people within the comedy industry, where I hear supposedly left-leaning middle-class white women screaming down with the patriarchy when it's the patriarch in their own home that is paying for their Edinburgh show. (laughs) And for me, it's that kind of hypocrisy and that kind of contradiction which has led to the destruction of the left wing, even even more so where you've had this rise in this subgenre of comedy where the emphasis was on how much you cry on stage as opposed to how much you make people laugh. And while it's very, I'm more than comfortable and I encourage people to be able to enjoy a catharsis or mm. to find their artistic expression therapeutic. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. 
Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The idea that your show is good because you cried more on stage more than people laughed was ridiculous. And that kind of happened around the time that Hannah Gadsby was nominated for the net for mm-hmm. Best Show and won a Peabody Award. Then... Comedians and I guess any artists and artists who are contextualizing the art of capitalism all followed suit and became uh, very gimmicky and trying to do the same thing. And that mm. led to, I mean, again, when that happens, you know, you just damage this industry and this art form as a whole. Mm. And that was came from the left, whereby I guess the way I put it was I was speaking to former guest on the, on the podcast, Athena, mm. where I'm like the right wing, where they just want to see black and brown people in prison. Whereas, the left wing just want to see them in zoos where they're supposed to be grateful for their captivity and for you to feed them, water them and indulge them and playfully interact with them, but never really address any kind of issues. And as that particular narrative took over the left wing, you know, it's very easy when you have the privilege of being middle class and having a political assembly where you can only, you only have to oppose like conservative, uh, doctrine verbally because when you go home as a middle-class left-wing person Tory policy won't affect your taxes and it won't affect your housing and it won't affect your access to education so I guess your objections only have to be performative well, but to those people whose lives it actually affects they don't even get a they don't even get a say so the vacuum that was created by the lack of prowess and energy being shown by the left comedians I can speak for my industry the left-wing comedians that were being mm. put on a pedestal these guys who, you know, instead of actually confronting right-wing rhetoric head-on, just brushing it under carpet, ignoring it, trying to falsely ridicule it from a perspective of intellectual superiority, that vacuum was allowed for right-wing rhetoric, both in comedy and in general, to arise. Mm. And again, it's a very difficult conversation. And I say this because I come from a lost generation, and I think I need to make it very clear is that some people may argue that they see a lot of figureheads, whether it's your Mo Gilligan's and other person who's been on the podcast, who have enjoying a very lucrative and deserve um, career in comedy. But those who are 10 years his junior, who are older than myself as well, that was 20 years without any kind of representation whatsoever. Mm. So you've had two generations of both black people and white people in the United Kingdom who have been robbed of any visuals about the state of the uh, African diaspora in this country. They've been robbed of any opportunity for discourse. And so, they, you know, mainstream media is allowed for tensions to be stoked for so long with the only people that are protecting left-wing narratives being people who don't really have much talent or resolve and really are just being bolstered by their nepotistic links to industry as well as their parents' money. And so that led to the destruction of the left wing because, you know, it was more of a function of stewardship as opposed to people that were ideologues. I don't know. It's that sense that people are are kind of so desperate to be seen to be calling shit out. You know, there's such a kind of urgency in in the in the brains of so many people now that 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 you almost feel like I don't know. Are, are you going to still enjoy your life, or are you just going to go through your life trying to sift through <laughs> all the things that could either cause you offence or cause you the concern that other people are going to be offended? It's it's well, such I a. Think, I feel like that's how people. Are, these are the people that you're referring to kind of enjoy their lives is because they enjoy their life because. This is the thing, a big part of privilege, I guess, 
privilege uh, that comes with oppression is something that's enjoyed by the right wing, the privilege of superiority or the, the privilege of suppo- supposed superiority. Whereas a privilege on the, 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 the left wing or the, the faux left wing or the liberal left wing, it's a privilege of oblivion. You know, mm. if you are a middle class white woman, you are nowhere near as predisposed to experience the same form of sexual trauma as your working class counterparts or your trans women counterparts or your black or brown women counterparts, specifically if they're indigenous to their own countries. You're nowhere near in the same um, danger zone. But you, but for some reason, you get you get to be the most vocal about it. And that's epitomized by the fact that, you know, we talk about Me Too for getting that Me Too was started by a black woman. Mm. And no one references that. And, uh, you know, in the same way that gay pride was started by a black trans woman. And no one talks about that. No. So, But the people that you will see being the most vocal about it are the white middle class who have the privilege of discourse, access to mainstream media, yeah. And finances to realize, you know, to realize their narrative. Whereas, you know, the people that it's just the people, and this is the thing about like we talk about left and right wing, those who are actually on the left, people that do appeal for socialism, though that appeal for humanism, egalitarianism, people that are actually, you know, more dependent on political equality, are not the ones that are, have the voice that represents us all. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and actually, that's that's a key element, right? Is yeah. that is that you can't. You know, if you're hearing some of what we're saying today and it, and it jars with you and it makes you kind of go, you know, it makes you feel uncomfortable or threatened in terms of your, that's not a bad thing. Like you shouldn't always look at it like a bad thing if, 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 the, if the point that you've made doesn't resonate with everyone. You can communicate and find differing takes on the world that help influence your own. That's part of what civilization should be about, isn't it? Yeah, in some ways, but there's, I mean, there's a limit to that as well because, of course. Lib- because again, liberal, liberal politics and liberal narratives have taken that so far that again, when the people that are actually directly affected by these policies are having their opportunity to give an account of themselves is deprived, is, is being deprived, that they were giving platforms to people who generally still believe in eugenical ideas like phrenology. Oh, you know, of course, yeah. Boris Johnson just recently employed someone who was like that black people are racially predisposed to be less intelligent, even though it's a proven historical scientific fact that the three smartest people in this country are black children. That's a fact. Mm. You, know, the, 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 you know, the youngest people to ever be admitted to Cambridge via their um, mathematics um, admission scheme are two Nigerian children. These are facts. Mm. And again, these, is, you know, it's, these uh, narratives are allowed to continue because you have a liberal left who you know, refuse to interact with people that they claim to represent. Yeah. You know, as, as I said, you've got, you've got people who are, there are people in this, in the, in the industry I work in who, again, are screaming in our faces down the patriarchy and their own parents are members of parliament <laughs> and have never affected any kind of policy that would provide any kind of egalitarian state for well, the private women. That's why this podcast, you know, for, for, for Dane, for me, for the guests, for the listeners, it's why we believe in it so much. We we feel that you can, you know you can have any take on here and try and constructively uh, add to the to the conversation. You know, and and um, this is probably as good a time as any to thank all our guests uh, for the year um, that have been on. Do you want to do you want me to do a little roll, a name call, uh, Dane? Absolutely, so we, yeah. You should definitely do a name call. Shout out to Tezil Yaz, Trisha Goddard, Bobby Mayer. Yeah. Dr. Shirley yeah. Thompson, Adam Rowe, Dean Atter, Guz Khan, Emil Heskey. How cool was Emil? He was what a Very. dude. Um, Great guy. 
Sunita, uh, Ramel uh, London, Rob Mulholland, Genesis Elijah, Georgie Barrett, Susie Ruffle, Kalechi Okafor, Russell Hicks, Richard Blackwood. Who could forget our Richard Blackwood episode? <laughs> uh, uh, Richard Herring, Shantae Joseph, Marvin Harrison, Tony Tone, Judy Love, Prince Abdi, Slim the Comedian, Ashley Blaker, David Badil. God, it wasn't amazing to talk to David. Such a good year. Yeah, that was, that was one, yeah, uh, definitely a highlight. Don't forget, there's more coming. More there's coming. More coming. But just to finish up, the, the shout outs to all these people. We've got Rhea Lena, Jamali Maddox, Nadine Bachelor Hunt, James O'Brien, uh, Yinka Bokini, as, as, as Dane said, David Ajayo. And then um, we had the lovely uh, Jess Foster Q and Dan Schreiber on our, our special episode from London Podcast Festi- Festival. And then we've had James Acaster, Reginald D. Hunter, and Jen Brister, and Rabina and Poppy from the Brown Girls Do It Too podcast. I mean, that list, Dane. I mean, pr- I mean, we often talk about pride on this podcast, right? It's a, it's a difficult thing, pride, but I, I feel immense happiness that those people have, have, have given, given their time to, to talk to us, right? I can, I mean, yeah, I can, it's, I, I, I try to pride myself on articulation, but I can barely put into words like how amazing it is that all these guys come and support the podcast and indulge us all the time. I think it's just amazing. Um, and I think, yeah, if that, if that was the alumni for a, a one, one year, that's year one two. Year. If, that, if that was an episode guide for, for a TV show, then, you know, everybody, everybody would watch that. You know, I look at like David Letterman and his new series of like my next guest. Mm. I think as a UK-based podcast, we could definitely go toe-to-toe with the rich alumni of people that we have. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's been a real, you know, I think, I think, I hope, we hope, listeners, that you, that, that we've been here to help you through this year. You know, we we appreciate the, 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 the difficult times you've had uh, because you've lost things in your life that you normally rely on. And, um, we hope a weekly dose of, 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 of Dane and myself and our guests has, has helped you along the way. That's what we're here for, right, Dane? Uh, we, want, we want our listeners to, to feel like we're, we're part of their week. Absolutely. And uh, we definitely want you guys to feel like you are part of the conversation. That is the whole ethos of the whole podcast is questioning everything, man, is that, you know, we don't want to engage in any kind of intrigue or jargon when we're talking about whether it's industry or anything so that's why we is encourage people to ask because so even if your question is what the fuck are you two talking about <laughs> it's more than relevant and we're happy to go over that because like i said it's i think it's very important that as human beings we are beings of perception that we should be able to question our reality to know what's really real well we we, we wish you a happy 2021 guys and just to wrap up this little uh end of year uh dane and howard chat dane 2020 obviously had it had its issues Tell me one. What 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 are the what are the heart? What was one of the highs? What was the, when you think back? Is there a high that you really will remember? Um, there's been a few highs. I'd say the main one for me would be uh, I have uh, a pilot for Bamus, mm. a new show that I am pushing. Uh, so please, I'd encourage everyone to check out in the new year. A highlight has been watching the growth of this podcast as well. Mm. Um, and yeah, man, and just actually been able to reconnect with family and friends has been the main thing. And, you know, I've there's been some losses in my family, but as a whole, like a lot of my close family have been able to make it through uh, the pandemic in 2020. So that's been my highlight, man. My highlight has mm. been still been able to be supported by uh, love from friends and family, if I'm honest. Yeah. Yourself? Myself? Well, you know, there's been some highlights, including, you know, the real uh, love and passion I have 
for this show that we've created and 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 to feel the appreciation from the audience and its growth and its respect and the nominations and everything that's come for us this year has meant a lot um my work any listener will know that i care passionately about what i do and and this year i i you know i got the chance to kind of try and basically you know, build a new company, which I'll, I'll be telling uh, people about the stuff that we're making, hopefully some of it with, with Dane, uh, to go and, uh, you know, to go and check us out, uh, particularly a documentary that I'm working on, which I won't, uh, won't, won't go into detail now, but hopefully you'll see it in, in the new year. But then, you know, I can't lie, Dane, obviously the most memorable bit and the high of this year was uh, about uh, 4.30pm on, uh, on May the 20th, uh, when I heard the cry of my uh, my my child Dylan as he as he was plucked out of my wife, um, <laughs> and uh, uh, that moment and 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 the preceding months seven months now that he's been with us um, still here uh, he uh, yeah game ga- they say it's a game changer Dane right I mean fuck me it's it's more than that. <laughs> So yeah, my the birth of my child was was definitely definitely the high for me, uh, Dane. As you can imagine, it's uh, it's quite a memorable memorable time in your life, and uh, you know, it's good. It's good. The feedback is continuously good. Um, you have like my friends, you know, my friends who I could never even imagine being fathers are like, you know, changes you how you see the world, and you won't know a, a love like it. So it's good. I encourage it. Happy, happy yeah. to hear, and uh, first first Christmas period for oh, Dylan yeah. as well. He's a good, he's a good bloke as well. Actually, he's he, you know he's he, uh, the vomiting and the pooping. You know, you start to get over a little bit, but um, we've all yeah, been there, yeah, Howard. Exactly, exactly. No, no, the fact the, the fact that he don't throw it in your face, <laughs> literally or figuratively. Well, makes you him know, a good guy. It's only you so know. far. When he maybe learns throwing more, he'll do it. But we'll see. You could be like you, you, you be throwing up and shit everywhere. You could be like you had sex with my mum. So like, no one's perfect. How? <laughs> well, that was 2020 on Question Everything. Dane Baptiste questions everything. Uh, listeners, uh, from from me, thank you for listening. We'll be seeing you again in 2021, won't we, Dane? Absolutely. Thank you so much, guys. And as we always say, if you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode. Or you can also find us on ACAST, the world's largest podcast network. And please, guys, we have been nominated for an award for best uh, podcast for uh, information and conversation and interviewing conversation on Pod Bible. And uh, we would love for you guys to go onto the Pod Bible website and cast us a vote. And for anyone who in your family doesn't know about us, please introduce them to the podcast. And we will in turn continue to uh, allow you guys to question everything in the new year. So thank you so much. And uh, thank you for a wonderful year to our listeners, uh, both uh, old and um, new. We'll see you in 2021. Thanks again, guys. You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBaptweets or Instagram at DaneSnaptiste. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at WeAreAudioCulture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly, and the ACAST team for all their support. 
Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.